done in the city. Do you believe that? Do you believe that there's still an opportunity to do greater things, that God is not done with you, God's not done with me, God's not done with his church? I think it's easy to get cynical and go, oh, the times we live in, let's just pull back. Let's just pull back, hedge our bets, stay inside the safety of our little Christian community and bubble. But do you believe that God is not done with us? God's not done using his church, using his people to bless the whole world, yes, even Simi Valley. In 2015, I attended a conference, the Orange Conference. It's a children's ministry conference. It was in Atlanta, Georgia, and there's a wing of the conference that was for senior leaders. And so I attended this part, and an interesting uh, seminar conference thing that I went to, a pastor was starting a brand new church in a town called Gwinnett, outside of Atlanta. And many people in the town, uh, this was uh, going to be a church plant out of a huge church, out of North Point Church in Atlanta, which is a huge church, and there's satellite campuses all over the world, and people started asking, or all over the country, well, the world, because there's some in Canada, so I guess that counts as the world. And people started asking a question, do we need another church in this town? Do we really, in the southern part of the United States, need another church? And so this pastor intentionally began the church with a campaign that they called For Gwinnett. They started the church with this idea that this church was going to be for the community, for the city, for the people of that city. Whether those people ever darkened the doors of the church, they were going to show that they were emphatically for the city, and for those people. They were going to, the pastor said, add value to their community. They weren't going to be another church that sought to suck the resources out of the community. Not that all churches try to do that. But are one of these churches that says, come here, come to us, come to us. We've got the best, we've got the best. Come to us, come to us. Leave your other churches and come to us. That's why we're starting a new church. They were going to be a church founded on the idea that they were for the city, for the peace, the prosperity of the city and the people in it. They were going to show that they were going to add value by being there. And they, they actually put this into action. What they did is they started a kind of this campaign for Gwinnett and they, they told their people, we want you to use the little hashtag feature. You know about the hashtag feature? You know? You know about this? Hashtag? So make sure you know about it. It's pretty cool. It's not new or anything, but I want to make sure you know about it. They started using it on social media, and so they said, when you go somewhere in the community and you're intentionally being the church in the community, you're intentionally representing Jesus in the community, which kind of should be all the time, but when you're making this intentional thing, we want you to put a picture up on Instagram, put a post on Facebook, put a post on Twitter, and use the hashtag for Gwinnett so we can see where our church is active in the community. And they started doing interesting things where, um, you know how these things work where there's fun runs and they're trying to raise money for awareness for, for a cause, uh, that kind of a thing. And so there are people from the church that say like, let's get like 50 people from our church to go and do this run and we're just going to kind of bomb on this thing and they're going to go, where do these people come from? Who are you? Why are you doing this run? And they're going to say, because well, we're from the church and we believe in the organizations in our community and we want to add value and invest in the good work you're already doing. Here we are. We're the church and we're for Gwinnett. I think I heard a story of some of them going to like the perennial loser high school in the area and just going and making like a wicked huge cheering section. 
to go, this, nobody supports this school, let's go and cheer these kids on. Let's go and cheer them on. Because we want to show that we are for our community. And there were other things they did too, but the whole idea was that they were not going to exist for them. They were going to exist as the church ought to exist for the blessing of the world. Not to keep the blessings, but to bless the whole world. And this idea struck, just has stuck in my head ever since 2015. It's been uh, almost two years, yeah, over two years now, coming up on three years uh, that I went to this conference. And I've wondered what would it look like for us to be for CME. That's the hashtag in case you were wondering what I was talking about. That's the hashtag. Uh, for CME. To be known as the church and as the people who are just, we just want to see our community thrive. We want our city to thrive. I read somewhere once, and this has become kind of a popular sentiment, popular quote, that the church, one more slide, the church is the one institution that exists for those outside it. Have you heard this before? The church is the one institution that exists for those outside it. Think about that. It's the one institution that we're not here for us, for me, for what I can give, but we're here to pass again the blessings on to the whole world, that God would use you, would use me, that we would be on mission. We've been talking about that over the last few weeks. So we'd be so alive in Christ that it would be spilling out of us into our community and people would go, I want some of that. And that everywhere we would go, we would make things better. That's the vision of the church. This, this word church, ecclesia in the Greek, ecclesia seems to be something like the called out ones. Those who have been called out of the world to represent Christ, called out, called out by God to be God's people. And if you go back to the beginning of what were God's people called out to do, it started with that, that guy Abraham in the Old Testament. And you remember, God told him, you're going to be blessed. I'm going to bless you so that all the nations of the world would be blessed through you. Now, I'm going to bless you so you can stand up and go, look how awesome I have it because I have God and you don't. But so that you could take those blessings and pour them out on the whole world. That was the whole idea with the whole uh, nation of, of Israel project, God calling these, these people is that they would represent God in the way they lived their lives in such a way that surrounding communities would go, oh, you so clearly have something we don't. You so clearly are in relationship with the God of the universe and he's blessing you and we want to get in on that too. And that would just pour out to the whole world. It would pour out to the whole world. And we know, if you know the Old Testament story, you know how that went. They started kind of getting excited about them being the blessed ones and started building bigger armies and building bigger cities, some kings that got a little haughty and proud. Oh, we have this special relationship. We don't really need to follow God all that closely. And they stopped blessing the world and started looking at themselves. Story of the people of God. And it kind of continues and continues. And so back to that pastor from Gwinnett, one of the things he said is he said, we wanted to say yes to the people who had said no to our church. What do you think about that? We wanted to say yes to people who had said no to our church, even to people who had said no to Jesus, no to our values and beliefs, we want to be for you anyway. We are, want to show we are for you. 
There's an interesting thing in the, uh, in the Old Testament, an interesting story I want to draw us to this morning to think about, to kind of frame, frame this. I've already shared a little bit about where the Old Testament started with this idea that you will be blessed to be a blessing, and that was the call of the people of God. And then I, I just alluded to the fact that the people of God didn't really figure that out, and it led ultimately to their destruction. There's this story in the Old Testament where God saves the people from the Babylonians, and then the king is so proud and arrogant about it that he, or, sorry, from the Assyrians, the king is so proud he brings these other people, the Babylonians, in and starts to show them all the wealth he has. And they're like, that'd be pretty cool to have. And the king says, isn't this great that I'm going to live in peace and prosperity? When the prophet had said to them, because you did this, you're, you're like, the kingdom's not going to last very much longer. He's like, well, at least there'll be peace in my time. It's an interesting story. So later, the Babylonians come and they conquer Judah, the southern kingdom now, and they haul them off into exile in Babylon. And this is not where the people of God are supposed to be. They're not supposed to be in a foreign place. Remember, they're supposed to be the light to the nations, blessed to be a blessing, that everyone would see what it looks like to follow God and be blessed by God, and everybody would want in on it, and they forgot that, and they got destroyed, and now they're living in a foreign place. They're ruled by a foreign kingdom. They're they're following different laws and customs that, that are not their own. Their beliefs are in question. Everything they thought they were about is in question and they're in this place and Jeremiah the prophet sends them a letter that he hears the word of God and he sends them a letter and here's what he says it's an interesting letter to a people remember the context they don't want to be there they don't want to be there in this place it's foreign it's it's unfamiliar they're being mocked and ridiculed mocked and ridiculed by these people If you've looked at Psalm 137, it says, By the rivers of Babylon we sat and wept when we remembered Zion, when we remembered Jerusalem, we remembered our home. And then it says that the people there were mocking them. Play us one of those songs from Jerusalem. Why don't you play us one of those happy songs from your homeland? These people were mocked, ridiculed, living in a foreign place, and Jeremiah sends them this letter. Says, this is what the Lord Almighty, the God of Israel, says to all those I carried into exile from Jerusalem to Babylon. In Jeremiah 29. It says, build houses and settle down, plant gardens and eat what they produce, marry and have sons and daughters, find wives for your sons, give your daughters in marriage so that they too may have sons and daughters. Increase in number there, do not decrease. Then he adds, also, seek the peace and prosperity of the city to which I have carried you into exile. Pray to the Lord for it, because if it prospers, you too will prosper. Can you imagine hearing this word? You're in this place you don't want to be. It's foreign. They're mocking you. They're ridiculing you. They're like, sing us a song about your homeland. And you're like, really, guys? Really? Ah, you're just feeling terrible. The end of that psalm, it gets so bad that the end of that psalm says, God, that you would take their babies and dash them against the rocks. That's a real happy thought. That's how these people are feeling. They're being mocked, ridiculed. They're like, God, you take these Babylonian babies and dash them against the rocks. We need revenge for what is being done to us. And they get this letter from the prophet saying, hey, hunker down. Build some houses. You got to be there a while. Get married. Pray for the city. 
Pray for those people who are mocking you. Pray for peace, pray for prosperity, because here's the deal. If they prosper, so will you. It's almost like they started a hashtag for Babylon campaign. I don't know why that's not in the Bible. That should be in there. That should have been right after it, like God saying, hey, tell them, y'all got to start a hashtag for Babylon campaign. I don't know why they didn't do that. They should have been thinking about that thousands of years ago. And so just think about this interesting thing, because I'm guessing, I'm guessing if you can resonate at all, I started thinking about this. It seems sometimes like we are foreigners living in a strange land. I don't know if you feel that way. But you can look at culture around us, you can look at things, and and you can say, it feels like my values are being eroded, it seems like things are, it's a challenge to live uh, today, there's things that are changing that I don't like, there's all these things you can look, and it can cause us to either lash out, and I see plenty of lashing out in certain places, it can cause us to lash out and be angry and say, we want it back, we want it back the way it was, or it can cause us to pull back. And say, I'm just not going to engage. I'm not going to engage in the messiness of the culture. I'm not going to engage with those people who believe different things than I believe in. I'm just going to pull back. And it can cause us to, again, create these little kind of Christian bubbles where we say, we'll just go and represent Jesus over here. And we lose our ability to be for the city and bless the city and pray for the city. Because if it prospers and there's peace there too, then we prosper and the kingdom is advanced, and people have a chance of seeing Jesus. In a recent sermon speaking about the challenges that the, first, the church faces today, Pastor Erwin McManus at Mosaic Church in L.A., he said this. He said, we have to change our mindset. The church isn't here for us. We are the church, and we're here for the world all over the country. I thought this was an interesting point because I've heard this and I've felt this myself. All over the country, cities and communities are rezoning and they're making sure churches don't get in. You know about this, right? Where it's like, no, we don't want churches. We don't need more churches. Stop it. People are really upset, he said. But I realized part of the reasons communities zone out churches is because they don't think churches are vital to their future. And so we, that, that's, that responsibility, he's saying, is on us to redefine the value of the church. We need to become the kind of community or the kind of communities, the kind of people where wherever we go, things get better. Things get better. This historically is what the church has been about. It's interesting, I've had some conversations uh, in my years of being a pastor here and there with uh, people who are just against religion and against the church and don't want anything to do with it and they think the best thing ever would just be to wipe out religion altogether and the world would be such a better place. Because historically, churches have been the ones that have started hospitals. Our own denomination, when the, the immigrants came to Chicago, they started a house of mercy where they were taking in orphans. They were taking in widows. They were caring for people that nobody wanted to care for. That's the church. That historically is what the church has done. The church has been on the forefront of education, starting schools. I don't think the education system would be where it is today, where everybody has some access to education if it weren't for the church. 
That, that goes way back to the beginning of churches saying, man, this, these things should be available to everyone and let's do something to help the least of these. Motivated by our love for Jesus, let's be for our community. Let's be for the people in this community. Let's show that. The church was on the forefront of the civil rights movement. Sometimes we forget that, and it's like, oh, yeah, that movement was just about some of, motivated by just by race. or mo- No, it was motivated also by a love of Jesus. And people looking around and going, there's something not right, and I don't think Jesus would want it to be this way. Huge, monumental changes in history have been brought about by the church making things better. Looking around, evaluating, and say, you know what, we're here Maybe we are like foreigners in a strange land, but we can still have influence in this strange land. We can still uh, impact people for good. We can still make change motivated by our love for Jesus. And so the question is for us, the question is today, how do we do that? How do we go about having a campaign that's for see me? Hashtag for see me. Can't forget the hashtag, y'all. This is really important. I don't know if you're getting that, but the hashtag thing is vital to the movement's success. So how do we do this, though? I think the first thing is we need to listen. We need to love our people and listen to our people in our community. Again, there might be a tendency to pull away. Let's not pull away. Let's go and ask questions of our community. Do we know the needs, the hurts, what breaks people's heart in our community? Are we listening? I heard a TED talk from the Atlanta mayor, Kasim Reed. He said when he was running for mayor, he was a huge underdog. And they didn't know what to do, so he just went to the streets. He just went to the streets, he went knocking on doors, and he went to the poorest communities, knocking on doors and just going, hey, uh, I need your vote. I mean, he was just begging, out there begging. And he tells the story of going to this one uh, grandmotherly woman, African-American woman's home. And he went into her home, and he was only supposed to be there three minutes. That's all he had. Three minutes at each house, knock on the door. Hey, will you vote for me? Okay, thanks. Hope I have your vote. Next, hour, next house. Well, she invited him in. She sat him on the plastic-covered uh, sofa, the nice sofa. She gave him a big old plastic cup of sweet tea, and he knew he was there for the long haul. <laughs> and he asked her, he said, can I have your vote? I want to tell you I'm so excited to be the mayor of the city. I'm so excited because, you know, this city is amazing. This city, we've got one of the, the best airports in the whole world. We've got, we're like third, I think he said, in Fortune 500 companies in this city. We have gourmet restaurants. Do you know about the gourmet restaurants coming into Atlanta? This is an amazing city, and I would be happy to be your mayor. He said she grabbed him by the hand. She pulled him to her front door, and she said, baby, I want to show you my Atlanta. She said, look across the street. He looked across the street, and there, where there once was a swimming pool full of water that kids were swimming in, there was some dude shooting dice in the pool. And she said, look over there, and there was a gazebo in the park, and she said, families used to be there. Oh, I remember the days when there were families, and they were eating meals, and kids were playing at the park. Now it's covered in graffiti. And there were some young men blasting loud music. She said, baby, this is my Atlanta. What are you going to do about this? And she closed the door. He said that day that he walked away wondering, what was I supposed to do with that? And so he said, what you really need to do if you want to lead people is find out what they care about and what needle they want moved. Until you see a city the way people who are most in need of help see it, you're never going to reach them. What are we doing to see in our city what needles need to be moved? 
Where are people hurting in our city? We may see the city one way. We may see it a certain way and say, man, I love it here. It is great. But are we listening to the voices that are saying, you know, if we could change these things, are we, are we asking our school board? We, have, we know people on the school board. We're asking them, what do you need? What could make Simi schools better? How, can the church get involved in that? Can we go to a school and slap some paint on it for you all? What can we do to make it better? Because the church is here and we want to make it better. We want to show you that we are for Simi. That's important. Okay, hey, you got to keep that. What do we need to do? What questions do we need to ask? Are we willing with our neighbors to ask what would make your life better and how can the church get involved? Are we asking these questions? You know, I was at a, a cops and clergy event last week, had the opportunity to hear from the chief of police. And that's the question of how, what, what challenges are they facing and how can the church come alongside them? Is, it, is there an opportunity for the church to partner with local organizations, local businesses, schools to make our community better? Because I believe just like what, what Jeremiah sent to those exiles is true for us. See, when the whole city prospers and everybody's thriving, we all thrive. People of every political stripe, people of every ethnic stripe, we all thrive together. And the way of Jesus is about human flourishing. The way of Jesus is about all of us flourishing together, blessed to be a blessing. Blessed to be a blessing. I think the second step then after we listen, after we see what needles people want moved, after we take stock of what's going on in our community, is to actually get involved and get invested in what's going on. It's like I said, asking businesses, asking organizations, asking our schools, what do you need? What would change things for you? How can we get involved? So I think, like I said, the amazing thing for the for Gwinnett campaign is that they got involved in their city. They let the city know they were there. They were there, and we are for you, not just for us. I think about, uh, there's a, a run coming up very soon here uh, that the Free Clinic of Simi Valley is doing. And we have some people uh, in our congregation who are on the board at the Free Clinic. And I wonder, what would it look like to volunteer for an event like that? To say, I know it's your event, but we want to come and volunteer. What can we help you with? I think about, um, it seems like this town really loves car shows. I've noticed that in my uh, 19 months here. And I've thought about, for a while, we were talking about doing our own car show, and I thought, what would it look like, you know, the police department is doing a car show to raise funds, and, and what would it look like for us to say, we're not going to do our own, can we help with yours? We just want to help, because we're the church, and we're here, and we're for you. I think about the street fair that goes on. You know, the street fair, instead of having a booth and saying, we're Simi Covenant, come to us, what if we just went, no, 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 we want to come and volunteer and set things up. Sweep the streets. What can we do to show that we are for our city? We are for you. We have people in, in this church that are involved at the Samaritan Center, the Free Clinic, Rotary. The list goes on and on of things that people are involved in. Children's Hunger Fund. We have two people employed at Children's Hunger Fund, a great ministry. Can we ask our friends, people sitting right here in this room, how can the church come alongside you? How can we come alongside you to show that we are for our city, for the people of our city? It's getting involved, getting invested. 
And all of this, the last thing I want to shift to, all of this is a way of, of changing not just like the PR of the church, but is a way of really shaping how we as a church understand our role as the people of God at this point in history in this particular city. There's a book that you're going to be hearing a lot about, and I've referenced it a couple weeks ago, called Growing Young. And the authors of this book, uh, they, what they did, it's from the Fuller Youth Institute in Pasadena. They went and they interviewed, uh, I think, over 200 churches that seemed to be doing really well at keeping young people in the church and growing their population of young people seeking Jesus. One of the things they found that, were, that was working in these churches, these churches that were keeping young people, one of the things they did well was what they called, they were being the best neighbors. They were being the best neighbors. And here's what they said in the book. They said, churches striving to be the best neighbors reflect selfless mercy toward people outside their congregation, whether those neighbors are friends, strangers, or even enemies. Churches that grow young practice this mercy in a myriad of forms, service and social justice efforts, political engagement, discussions about race and ethnic identity, and responding to pop culture. Doing so earns these churches a hearing in a culture that often otherwise dismisses them as judgmental or closed-minded. Now, it's possible when you look at those list of things, you say, oh my gosh, to be a good neighbor, we have to get engaged in social justice, political engagement, talk about race and ethnic identity, and pop culture. Those are maybe the very things that before when I described what we might be afraid of today, we're going like, I don't want to get into any of those conversations. But churches that are growing young are not afraid of these congregations. They're not afraid to engage younger people in these congregations and say, what is it again? What needle do you need to be moved? And how can we bring the love of Jesus into that? How can we walk alongside of you in something you care about? Something that breaks your heart? How can we help our young people get engaged in things we are already engaged in? So that they can learn what it means to serve and give of themselves. Neighborliness is at the heart of the gospel. I think it's amazing that when Jesus is asked, he's asked, right, what are the two, or what's the greatest commandment? And he says, the greatest commandment is love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, strength, and mind. And then he goes, oh, but there's a second one like it. The second one is love your neighbor as yourself. And he adds everything. All the law and prophets hangs on this. Everything hangs on that. All the other rules, all the other laws, all the other teachings hangs on do you love God with all you got and do you love your neighbor as yourself. Neighborliness is at the heart of the gospel. And so all of this circles back. How do we be for the city, for the people? I want to uh, conclude by saying I think we need to evaluate, reevaluate how we understand our mission as a church. And that's what this series has been about. We want to understand how do we flourish as a church? How can we be healthy, vital as a church? And we've been talking about what that means to be missional, to look outward. What that means to radically follow Jesus in the way we live our lives. And finally, I want us to, uh, to come to this place today of thinking about how we evaluate how we're doing as a church and how we evaluate the, the mission and what we're doing 
day to day as a church. I came across this interesting article where the person was saying that to really think about the church, you need to think about it from a place of who you might invite. Would somebody you know that you're working with, would somebody you know who doesn't know Jesus, who's a stranger to the church, or somebody who's seeking Jesus, how would they understand what we're doing here? How would they see it? And this article said the first problem you're going to encounter when you ask this question is most people in churches today are going to say, well, I'm not inviting anybody. So I don't even know who I would be thinking about. Problem number one, are we thinking about our community, our city? When we think about whose lives can we be blessing, whose lives can we be changing, are you thinking about real people? Are you going, I don't know, that would be the first place to start is I don't even know my neighbors. I hang out with a lot of Christian people, so I don't know. How do we see through the eyes of those who we're inviting? That the church isn't for us, but it's for those who are not even here yet or who may never come through these doors. So you have to ask yourself some questions. You have to ask yourself, what is the reputation of the church, of our church, in the community? How are we known? And you have to ask yourself, would people miss us if the doors of the church close tomorrow? Would people go, gosh, See Me Covenant was doing what to add value to the community? Think about that as you think about our church and how we're doing and are we vital and flourishing and adding value to our community? Are we showing the community that we're for them? Would we be missed if the doors were closed tomorrow? And so the the things this pastor closes with, though, to say here's some other things to ask your questions as we close this morning's sermon, is to ask yourself, as you think about those who, who we should be inviting or could be inviting, how can we say yes to those who have said no to our church. The reality is there, there are people who are driving by every Sunday. There's people who I talk to at soccer fields. There's people who I talk to in the community. And they're like, well, where, where are you the pastor at? I say, see me Covenant Church. And they're like, which one's that? Oh, it's the, the ski slope one. Oh, I know that church. But they never come to the church. So, so they're driving by. They know the church. They know it exists. What would it look like? What do we need to do? What needle do we need to move to show that we are saying yes to people who have said no to our church? Another question we need to ask is how do we say yes to 18 to 35-year-olds, a group whose church attendance is extremely low right now? And maybe, maybe you're thinking, why are we always focusing on young people? Folks, I'm outside of that group right now. I feel like I'm pretty young and like hip and with it. You know, I know the hashtag thing. But I'm outside of that now. I'm not the target anymore, darn it. It makes me sad. <laughs> I'm getting closer to 40. I'm, you know, I'm going to be, a, what was the, the, the bone marrow people? Where you're like uh, overqualified, right? It's like, man, I'm just going to be overqualified. But the question is, how do we say yes to 18 to 35-year-olds? Again, how do we engage this young group of people who, who are who are walking away from church and are saying no thanks. There was a recent uh, study of uh, you know, the demographics of where people are at in church. Um, they, found, they found that since the 1990s, the group who says that they are unaffiliated, they're atheist, agnostic, or none, no church affiliation, it has tripled since the 1990s. This group has tripled. And if you look at this graph, this is the percent unaffiliated by age, the percent of the nuns, those who say no religion, atheist, agnostic, 38% of 18 to 29-year-olds. 
No, not interested. And you look at generationally how that has played out, and you see maybe the problem we're facing. So why the focus on 18 to 29-year-olds? Why the focus on growing young? Because we're about to lose a whole generation if we're not going to say yes to them. If we're not considering how we can be for them, how we can show them the love of Jesus and how Jesus changes your life. 38% 18 to 29-year-olds unaffiliated. So how are we as a church adding value, showing that we are for young people in our community, that we are for Simi? How are we adding value? How are we saying yes to people in our city? What do people think of when Simi Covenant comes to mind? Would we be missed if we close the doors tomorrow? And the greatest part is we get to ask questions like, what do we want to be known for? Because we don't just have to live on what we were known for. We can take the best of that and we can write a new future. What do we want to be known for? How do we want to add value in a new way to our city? How can we reach young people? What needle do they need to be moved? I believe we have an opportunity to pray for our city and to get engaged in our city and seek the peace and prosperity of our city that all of us would prosper and the name of Jesus would go out from us. Would you pray with me? God, you have shown us that you are for us. And you did this by sending your son most radical sacrifice we could imagine. You sent your son showing that, Lord, you weren't holding anything back. You are emphatically for us. God, help us in in realizing that as we come to the table this morning and as we realize and celebrate the goodness, the, the truth that you are for us, you have sacrificed yourself for us. Help us, Lord, then to be for our city, to be for our neighbors, Lord, to put feet to our faith, show our community that we are here for them. Lord, in the ways that you have blessed us, help us to pour that blessing out on our whole community. Lord, we give you thanks again that you are the God, the God, who is for us. We pray this all in Jesus' name. Amen. We do come to the table this morning remembering, remembering as we partake of the bread, the Lord's body and the cup, the Lord's blood, that we celebrate this because it does show that God is for you. He's for me. He's for us. He wants what's best for us. God easily could have looked at this world and said, (laughs) enough, enough, no way. And instead he poured himself out again and he poured himself out again and he poured himself out again, pursuing us to the point of sending his son to die for us. And that's what we celebrate this morning. May this feast, may coming to this table fill you up so that you can go and be for the city for your neighbors, for your family members. Let's come to the table.
It's our sacred privilege to celebrate the sacrament of the Lord's Supper. All who humbly put their trust in Christ and desire His help that they may lead a holy life. All who are truly sorry for their sins and would be delivered from them. All who would walk in love with their neighbors and intend to live a new life, following the commandments of God and walking from now on in His holy ways, are invited to draw near with faith and receive this holy sacrament. Friends, this is the joyful feast of the people of God. Many will come from east and west, north and south, and sit at table in the kingdom of God. This is the Lord's table. Our Savior invites those who trust Him to share the feast He has prepared. According to Luke, when our risen Lord was at table with His disciples, He took the bread, He blessed and broke it, and gave it to them. And that's when their eyes were open, and they saw that it was Jesus. I pray that as you come to this table this morning, you will see Jesus. You will see Jesus. Hear the words of institution. These are the words of our Lord Jesus Christ delivered by the Apostle Paul. It says, I received from the Lord what I also hand on to you, that the Lord Jesus, on the night when he was betrayed, took a loaf of bread, 